Church, it is so good to be with all of you. If you don't know who I am, if you're visiting today, my name is Joel Repic, and I'm lead pastor here at Crestmont. And we do especially want to extend a welcome to our visitors. Thank you so much for being with us today and getting to know us a little bit better. Um, today, we are going to be in Acts chapter 18, so you can get there um, in your Bible or on your device. It will also be on the screen behind me as usual. Um, we have been in a series on the book of Acts for some time in the New Testament. It's written by um, an early disciple named Luke, and he gives us an account of the early Christians in the Roman Empire. Now, we set down the book of Acts pretty much for the whole summer, but we're picking it back up right where we left off. So I'm going to read that passage in just a moment. But first of all, let me tell you, um, one exciting thing about multiplying campuses and multiplying ministries is it provides more room uh, for leadership and influence. And I'm just really excited that Michael and Brooke have stepped into this role as your campus leaders. And one thing I especially want you to know about them is they really are here to care for you. Um, so if you have questions or if you need something or you need us, the church, to respond to anything in any particular way, uh, Michael and Brooke love you. They're here to support you and care for you. So am I, by the way. I'm still here, obviously. Um, but Michael and Brooke are here too. So um, please lean into them, and I know they care about you. All right, so we're picking up in Acts 18, where we left off is Paul um, if you remember Paul's story, at one point he was a persecutor of the early Christians, had a radical encounter with Jesus, transformed his life forever, and he ended up being sent by Jesus himself to go share the good news of what Jesus had done all throughout the Roman Empire. And so where we left off is Paul is going from city to city to city, sharing the good news about Jesus. Today, he ends up, in our reading, he ends up in a city called Corinth. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that city in just a moment. But let's read this passage together, Acts 18, beginning in verse 1. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Now, let's just pause here for a moment. Um, all throughout this series, and you may not have been with us since the beginning of the series, but all throughout it, we have identified a main character in the book of Acts. And we've said that main character is not the Apostle Paul, even though he features prominently throughout the whole story. It's not the other leaders of the early Christian church, Peter earlier on, or Priscilla and Aquila here. Um, the main character of the story is Jesus. 
And he's still alive. That's one of the points that Luke is making in the book of Acts, that Jesus is actually risen from the dead. And now, by his Holy Spirit, which he has poured out on the church, he is still speaking, he is still moving, he is still leading, he is still guiding his people. And so, here, it doesn't get any more direct. Throughout the book of Acts, Jesus speaks in many different ways, through circumstances, or through prophetic words, but here, Jesus speaks very directly to Paul in a vision, and so we should take note of this. In some of your Bibles, the editors help us by putting the words of Jesus in red. We haven't seen any red letters for quite some time, not since the beginning of the book of Acts, but here we see them again. The editors mark them because this is as direct as it gets. Jesus is saying something very special to Paul, so let's pick up in verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatever. All right, let me just summarize some of what is happening in this passage, and then we are going to focus in on the words of Jesus here in particular. So Paul ends up in Corinth. This is a major city in the Roman Empire. It's a port city. As such, it is very diverse. Um, It's very cosmopolitan. It's a very influential place. It is known for its idolatry. It is especially known for its sexual immorality as a city. Uh, Even by pagan standards, it kind of has a reputation of immoral behavior. It is a happening place where all kinds of people are converging and interacting with each other. And Paul lands in this place uh, to share the good news about Jesus. Now, As is his custom, and you see this in the previous chapters, Paul, as a Jew himself, visits his own people first in the city. In the Roman Empire, at this point, the Jews were spread all throughout the Roman Empire. And so Paul finds his own people. He finds a synagogue. As a matter of fact, even though Paul is a Jesus worshiper by this point, he still would have, uh, as a Jew, um, visited the synagogue as much as possible to worship. So he does that here. He finds a synagogue. He begins to worship there. He builds relationships. And at first, some really good things happen. For instance, he meets his new friends, Priscilla and Aquila. And I'm just going to note, kind of a side note, that consistently Priscilla's name is named first, Priscilla and Aquila. Super unusual in ancient texts that the, women, the woman's name should come first. And it probably has something to do with her teaching ministry, her leadership in the early church. Um, so he meets these friends, Priscilla and Aquila. And this is a great comfort to him, partly because they share the same vocation as 
Paul. Um, they are tent makers, and that was Paul's trade. You know, back then everyone would have had a trade, and so Paul knew how to fashion and make tents. Priscilla and Quilla share that vocation with them. This is how they support themselves. So he forms a really meaningful friendship. Furthermore, um, his buddies, his protégés, Silas and Timothy, end up meeting up with him. And when they do, because of their assistance and their help, it frees him up even more to preach the word of God, um, to uh, you know, talk in the synagogue about Jesus. Um, and so he's doing all of this work with his own people in, in the synagogue. But then... There's a setback. It seems like things are going well, but then there's a setback. But in some ways, it's a predictable setback because it is exactly what happened to Paul in many of the previous cities that he just came from, and now it's happening again. Here's what it is. The relationships in the synagogue get dicey. Um, Paul is trying to present Jesus not as a new religion or a new religious system, but as the culmination of the Old Testament law and the prophets that the Jewish people had been privileged to receive. So Paul is trying to show them from the scriptures that Jesus is the promised one. It says in the text that he is the Messiah. That's a word that means anointed one or chosen one, that he was the one promised over ages of history by God through his people to save us from our sins. But as Paul enters into relationship and as he teaches and as he eats meals with people, the relationships start to turn. And now he finds himself in a difficult situation because, as the text tells us this morning, they became abusive toward him. So this is a setback, a setback that Paul is familiar with. He has seen this happen before. As a matter of fact, he has seen this get much worse. He has actually been run out of cities after this kind of thing happened. So this is a setback. Now, just for a moment... I just want you to identify with the text for a second and thinking about a setback that you've experienced. Um, Because this is really what we're going to be talking about this morning. We all know what it's like, right, to experience some kind of setback. And I don't know about you, but for me, some of the most discouraging setbacks are the ones where I really thought I was doing what God wanted me to do. Right? Can anyone identify with me? I really thought I was doing what God wanted me to do. Not just like what I wanted to do. I thought I was doing what God wanted to do. And it seems like it didn't work out so well, that there was some kind of major opposition. And this is happening to Paul, not just in Corinth, but in city after city after city. And you have to understand the emotional journey that Paul is on, because these are his own people. These are not his enemies. It says elsewhere, we see in Paul's writings, that Paul, as a Jew, loved the Jewish people. Um, He wanted nothing more. Uh, than to see them come into the life that he had come into as a follower of Jesus. And so this is very personal for him. This is very emotional for him. And it's one thing to be rejected by your enemies, but to be rejected, to be abused by your own people. You know, if some of you have experienced those kinds of relationships from your own family, then you can understand some of what it is that Paul is going through. This is his family. And these people are treating him this way. It gets so heated that Paul ends up saying, calling quits on the, on the thing. He's like, I'm not coming to the synagogue anymore. He says some really hard things. 
your blood be on your own head, all that kind of stuff. Now, if you read the commentaries on my shelf, you'll see commentators go different ways on what Paul says on like the morality or the ethics of his words here. Like, was that too harsh? You know, is he just frustrated? Or I'm not even going to try to get into that today. We're not going to like try to figure out if Paul said everything that he should say. What I want you to take away from it is this. He was mad, right? He was frustrated, right? He was giving himself in relationship and teaching, and he wasn't seeing the results they wanted to see, so he just gives up. Now, think about this. If you were Paul and you had been through the last few years, you would just think, well, here we go again. This is just going to get worse. They're going to run me out of the city. I might get in a few of those cities he got beat up, right? So I'm going to get attacked. They're going to physically assault me. You know, your mind would just go there because it's what he's been through up until this point. Now, after he gets frustrated, some encouraging things happen. There's some unexpected people who end up becoming followers of Jesus themselves, one of them actually the synagogue leader. So there's some good things that happen, but Paul must have felt pretty discouraged. And it's in that place, in that setback, that Jesus comes to him in a vision in the middle of the night. I'm going to say more about that in just a second. But after the vision, Paul makes the choice to stay in Corinth. And so he stays, and after the, you know, the encouraging words he receives in the vision, it seems like things go from bad to worse. Because now there's not just like an abusive relationship, like people are saying things to him. Now there's a coordinated attack against him, and they come, and they get him, and they pull him to the governor's office, a man named Gallio, who at the time was the governor of that province where Corinth was the capital. And they take him to court there. So now hands have been laid, all right? So this is getting more intense. Now they have taken him and grabbed him and taken him uh, to this court. Now I want you to understand some of what is happening in this courtroom scene because it's important to understand how Jesus is working in the passage. The Jews try to prosecute Paul in front of the governor with this argument. Their argument, essentially, is that their faith, to some degree, under Roman law, had legal protections. And that was true. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, The Jewish people in Rome, like the early Christians, were terribly persecuted. As a matter of fact, it says at the beginning of this passage that Priscilla and Aquila had to flee Rome because the emperor expelled them, right? So it wasn't like this was, you know, all of their rights were being protected or something. But their faith, uh, to some extent, maybe it changed from emperor to emperor, from governor to governor, but to some extent, their faith enjoyed legal protection. It was a recognized faith by the Roman government in the empire. And the, and the way it worked in the Roman Empire was the government had to license the faith for it to be legal in, in the empire, all right? So they enjoyed those kinds of protections. So here's their argument. They're saying, Paul isn't a Jew. They're saying, he's worshiping in the synagogue and he's teaching these things, but he's teaching things contrary to what we believe. This man came up in here and taught a different religion, which is illegal, right? So that's the argument that they're making to the governor, and they're hoping that the governor will intervene. But before Paul can even make his defense, before words even get out of his mouth, the governor ends up responding in total apathy, right? 
He's like, um, uh, I don't even have time for this. He's like, you guys are arguing about words and scriptures and prophecies. What he's saying is, you're arguing about your own religion, and that is none of my business, right? But in his apathy, he actually ends up giving a ruling that provides some protection for the early Christians because what he's saying is these early Christians are not a separate religion. They're part of this same religion, and so they get legal protection. Are you following me? That's probably why Luke included this story. Even though the Christians are going to be persecuted by Rome and the emperors and governors later on, at least right now for this period of time in Corinth, Gallio has ruled that it is legal for the disciples, the early Christians, to practice their faith. All right? Okay, are you all following that? All right. Here's what I really want you to notice. In the middle of all of those details is Jesus appearing to Paul in a vision and speaking to him these words. As a matter of fact, if I were to sum up everything that I'm about to say to you this morning, it would be in these two statements. They're going to be up on the screen. First of all, in the setback, locate the voice of Jesus. Locate God's voice in the midst of the setback. Sometimes the worst setbacks are ministry setbacks. Sometimes the worst setbacks are when you've taken a risk for God, when you've you know, taken a risk to be on mission. I've had Sundays that I've wept in this room through worship because I felt like we were praying for something and we didn't see it happen, right? Come on, can we get real? How many of you have been there? You know, it felt like we didn't see the breakthrough, you know, that we were hoping for. But here's what's key, is to locate God's voice. It's to ask, what is Jesus saying in the midst of this setback? And then, if things get worse after you hear his voice, because as the passage shows us, they really might, right? If things get worse, then remember what he already said to you then remember the thing that he already spoke to you. When Jesus appears to Paul on this night, and I love it because it's such a tender thing. He appears, to G- he appears to Paul in the night and speaks these words of encouragement to him, but he essentially gives Paul three things. First of all, he gives Paul specific instructions. I have these on the screen too. He says, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent. Now this is really key because it reminds us that when we're in the setback or when we're getting pushback and we're trying to do the right thing and we're seeing all these bad things happen, it's important to remember that following God is not a formula. Um, It is a relationship in which God speaks to us and sometimes he doesn't give the same instructions in two different circumstances. For instance, in previous cities, when this kind of difficulty started to rise up, God actually made a way for Paul to escape. God actually miraculously provided a way for Paul to get out of that city. Here, God tells, Jesus tells Paul something very different. I want you to stay. I want you to stay, and I won't want you to be afraid. I want you to keep on speaking, and I don't want you to be silent. Jesus understands that the real battle here and what the enemy would like to exploit in Paul's life in this moment, particularly because of the traumatic things that he's already been through, that the real battle is to plant fear in Paul's heart. I was thinking about this. When I was in fourth grade, uh, this 
woman who, this is very vague. I, maybe I shouldn't even share this story because it's so vague. I hope it makes sense, all right? But there was this woman, I don't remember where she was from, but she visited my fourth grade classroom and she did science experiments with us, all right? And I was a total like English history mind and not a math or science mind. So my description of this is gonna be atrocious and I apologize to all of the science people out there because there's a lot of that I just don't remember and can't explain, all right? But she put some kind of liquid in a bowl, all right, you following me? And then she put another kind of liquid in the bowl. Oh, but before she put the second liquid, you following me? This is deep. She put some liquid in the bowl, all right? And then I remember she put black pepper on top of the liquid, all right? It sounds like dinner, but it's not. It's a science experience. She puts some black pepper on top, and then she put another kind of liquid in the bowl, and when she did, all the black pepper went boom, like to the side of the bowl, okay? So that's what I remember, Okay? Big takeaway, it was very effective in my educational journey, as you can tell, right? Um, but I was thinking about those little black pepper flakes running, and I thought, that is what one drop of fear does in our souls and minds and hearts and ministries. We might not run and leave the city, but there are things that will run to the edges of our soul, to the edges of our attention, to the edges of our effort, Things that God imparted into our life because he intended those deposits to come through our lives. And one drop of fear can be like that. Here's the thing. If Paul's not going to run, Jesus knows that the temptation for Paul is going to be to not speak up. To stay silent. To let fear govern his interactions. Govern how he moves from this point on. And it's like Jesus is saying to Paul, Paul, I put some good things in you. I think for some of you today, you need to hear this. God's put some good things in you. And yeah, there might be setback, there might be opposition, but God intends those things to come out. And wherever fear has caused things to run to the edges, to the sides, to get marginalized in your own life, God intends those things to still be what he uses wherever he has planted you. Are you following me? All right, secondly, he gives Paul these promises. I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. We said this last week. In the midst of our pain and fear, we're often looking for explanations, for, you know, a plan, for something to explain everything to us. And God often doesn't give us the explanations where we're looking for, but he does give us his promises. And Jesus promises us to Paul, I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you. And he's inviting Paul, and he's inviting us in the midst of the setback to just believe the promises that he has given us, even if our eyes see something different than what we expect. I'm going to say more about that in a second. And then, I love this. Jesus draws Paul's attention to the family, to the family on mission in Corinth. Because you know when you're afraid and when you're experiencing setback, when it's frustrating and you just want to give up, it's very easy to adopt a narrative, sometimes planted by the enemy, sometimes just cultivated in our own lives, that we are alone, that nobody cares, that we're the only one going through this stuff. How many of you have been there? I've been there, right? I'm alone, you know, all that stuff. And it's like Jesus is reminding Paul, Paul, I know this is hard, I know it's set back, but I have many people in this city. You're not the only one I'm working with. It's like Jesus is telling Paul, if you could see what I see happening in Corinth, this feels like setback to you, but the kingdom of God is actually advancing. Right? The movement is actually going forward. You're not able to see it, but I am. I have many people in this city. 
And so this is not going to turn out how you think it's going to turn out. So Paul receives this. I'm sure it was very encouraging. And then things get worse. And you should know this about receiving revelation for God. You ready? This will be the most encouraging thing you hear from me all year. You ready? Sometimes, just sometimes, the intensity of the revelation, and this is pretty intense. Paul gets a vision of Jesus speaking to him. It doesn't get more intense than that, right? Sometimes the intensity of the revelation does not mean that God is going to just make everything right automatically, right? Sometimes the ease in hearing him does not mean that God is about to make everything easy. Are you tracking with me? And here's why. It's because just because there's setbacks or additional setbacks doesn't mean that God's plan is off track. God is sometimes working in the midst of those circumstances. And so Paul receives this revelation. It all sounds good. Look at this. For instance, God says, Jesus says to Paul, no one is going to attack and harm you. It literally says, like a verse and a half later, that they coordinated an attack right? That they coordinated an attack against Paul. And this is why, after we've located Jesus's voice in the setback, it is critical then that we remember what he said when it seems like it's going, it's going the wrong direction, when it's getting worse, because sometimes God speaks clearly to us so that we can weather the next season. Are you following me? Sometimes he gives us revelation so that we can get through the next thing that that he is doing, or the setback that we're going to experience. And so Paul is dragged before the court. But I just want you to notice this. It looks like, it would look like everything is going wrong. Paul, he would be, he, it would be very logical for Paul to say, look, here we go again. This is what I thought was going to happen. This is what happens in every single city I go to. But look what happens in the text. He gets dragged before the court. Jesus told him, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. And Paul can't even get the words out of his mouth before God just intervenes in that courtroom and gives Paul protections that he didn't have before. Because sometimes God is just looking for our willingness. Amen? Sometimes he's just looking for us to cooperate. Sometimes he's just looking for us to not operate in fear. And then he'll come in and do it anyway. You know, it's not as if Paul, it's not as if Jesus' command to Paul, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, was him telling Paul, you got to make all this stuff happen. He's saying, I just want your willing heart. And when you open your mouth to even begin to speak, I'm going to rush in and take care of it for you and not only give you protections, but give the community of people you're with, those early Christian disciples, protection. And then the promises, no one is going to attack or harm you. I just said this. Jesus says, no one's going to attack or harm you. And then it looks like, they attack, but this is the nature of the promises of God. Jesus said, no one is going to attack and what? Harm. What they tried to do was attack. But Jesus said no one was going to attack and harm. He said this to Paul, and this is the truth. When we stand on the promises of God, it means that we can look at things that look contrary to what God spoke to us, and we can see that there's something else, that there's something deeper. This looks like an attack, but this is going to end up some different way because Jesus said something different to me. Amen? And then the family piece. I have many people in this city. The family only grows after this. And Paul is not alone. He remembers that he is not alone even in the midst of all this. Is Craig here? 
Yeah, Craig, if you could come up and play. I'm just going to close by saying this. I want you to focus in on this promise part. I am with you. No one is going to attack and harm you, or just this especially. I am with you. Friends, any promise that we've received from God was paid for in a very specific way. It's by what we just celebrated at this table. We don't deserve promises like that. We don't deserve for God to promise us that he will never take his presence from us. Um, But this is what God has promised. I am with you. It was true for Paul, but this promise is spoken all throughout scripture. We just read it in one of our Psalms. God is with us. We just sang it in one of our songs this morning. God is with us. We are told over and over and over again that God is with us. And friends, those promises are given to us, given to you, activated, kept current, because that promise was paid for by God himself. Jesus' own blood paid for that promise. And here's just what I want you to know. I don't know what setback you're in the middle of. You know, I don't know if you feel like you heard something from God and then there's even more setback where you are in all of this journey if you're feeling afraid. But here's the truth. God is with you. And Acts 18 reminds us that this thing that we preach, the gospel, is so real, is so secure, is so paid for, for all of eternity, that no external circumstance could ever change this reality that God is with you wherever life takes you. Amen? It doesn't matter if hands are laid on you and you are dragged to court. God is with you. It doesn't matter if you find yourself around abusive people, if you find yourself rejected by your own people. God will never reject you. He'll never abuse you. He's always with you. That's the truth. Um, that can't be taken away. As a matter of fact, this thing we preach, the gospel, is so real that not only can the external circumstances never take away the witness of God in your life, but also whatever is going on inside can never send him away. Whatever failures, whatever sins, whatever insecurities, those things will never be a strong enough signal to send away God's presence from your life. He is with you. Amen? Now, let's just be honest. I wish that every time Jesus showed up in dreams like this to speak to us, that would be awesome. And maybe he will tonight because Jesus does these things. Why not? Jesus does these things. But scripture also says that there's times when it's hard to find God's voice. Can anyone testify? But here's what I want to tell you. You have a family. God says, I have many people in this city. And you might not be hearing God, but there are people around you who will speak to his promises again and again, who will say, God is with you, even if it feels like he's not. God is with you, even if you feel like you're unworthy. Amen? Amen.